Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 20, and the Lord said, I have pardon according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled. Notice that statement. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which were or have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times that have not hearkened to my voice, surely... They shall not see the land which I spake unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. Of course, Hebrews picks this up and he said they could not enter in because of their unbelief. You know, I, I, I think there's a distinct difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is, uh, it's, it's just been a human. You have doubts from time to time. But unbelief is that strong, defiant, I just don't believe it. So, you know, we struggle sometimes with our doubt, but I don't want to ever let unbelief get in my spirit. Ever let it get in my spirit. The Word of God reveals it. The Word of God declares it. I believe God can do it. Mm. I believe God can do it. Amen. I want to talk to you about the glory of the Lord tonight. And uh, I'm going to going to take two or three different sermons, and I'm not going to preach all three of them tonight, so relax, amen. I'm going to kind of dissect them and tie them together and just do what I feel like the Holy Ghost wants us to do here tonight, amen. Father, I love you. Thank you for the worship that's here tonight, your presence, your rich presence. We thank you for it. I pray tonight, God, that you will help me. Give me clarity of mind and of spirit. I pray now that anything that would come to hinder the Word of God and its ability to affect us, I pray now that it would be bound, that there be liberty in your Word tonight. Let the gift of faith operate in this service and let us see your glory before we leave here tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I have, uh, I've been in this study. I, I get into subjects and I stay there for a while. And uh, I, I very seldom, once I'm kind of in that vein, I very seldom move out of it to preach uh, out of the borders or the boundaries of that. And uh, <clears throat> I call it a continuous revelation. You know, one of the things that's going to make heaven heaven is the fact that after about 10,000 years or a million years, you think you've seen it all. And God says, watch this. You haven't seen anything yet. And uh, what a wonderful God we serve here tonight. Amen. And uh, I, I get into these veins, and I just kind of stay there for a while. And so the last few years, I've really done a lot of study in regard to the word glory. And I'm not here tonight to go into all the theological deal about glory and all the different definitions. I will focus on one main point here tonight. I realize there's different aspects to glory, 
But when I get into this, you'll understand why I'm saying that. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I know some of the definitions and I've looked at it, but I really wanted to get a good comprehension. We talk about it. We sing about glory. It seems to be a, a strong theme in our songs. Show us thy glory. Very seldom do we go a service without somebody singing or mentioning about the glory of God. But tonight I want to uh, kind of dive into this just a little bit and tell you what I believe, the way that I see glory and this aspect of it. Uh, <clears throat> John in his writings, it's uh, very amazing to me, John the last living apostle of the Lamb, uh, he, uh, he writes to us about two or three particular subjects. He's really going to deal with some things. One of the things that he deals with, of course, is as he wrote in his revelation, he wrote to Ephesus and told them, you have left your first love. Uh, Ephesus was the, probably the truest apostolic church among those seven churches. They had not denied his name. They had kept the faith, couldn't stand anything that was false. But out of all seven churches, only Ephesus' candlestick was threatened to be removed. It was the most apostolic church. It was the most doctrinally sound church. But because they had left their first love, God said, I will remove their candlestick if they don't repent. Now, John, I think, really understood that, strongly understood that, because in his gospel, he writes to us in that conversation that Jesus has with his disciples going from the Last Supper to the garden and the subject, I think, at the close of the 13th chapter into the 17th chapter of John, his gospel, it's one conversation. It's a long conversation. And he's talking to them. And when he gets with the backdrop of a vineyard, he starts talking about, I'm the vine and you're the branches. <clears throat> he then goes on to say, as long as you stay connected to me, then you will produce fruit. I've heard people say that that fruit is sows. And if you don't want to sow, then it says you'll wither and die and men will cast you into the fire. I've heard people make that statement and try to use that passage for an argument about that. The reality of that is, is that Jesus was not talking about souls when he was talking about fruit, but he was talking about his love. In other words, as long as you stay. See, you cannot produce the love of God on your own. It has to come from God. And as long as you stay connected to him, then his love flows through you and produces the love of God that the world needs to see. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not because of your hair length or your dress length, and I believe in all that. Not because you've got all these trappings, but this is how they will know that you are my disciples. That you have love one toward, not love one for another, like we quote it. That means I'm going to tolerate you. But love one toward means something has to be expressed. I cannot think of a greater moment in time in history when the, it's been set for the church to let the world see the true love of God and manifestation flowing through his body. It's not a better time right now. Uh, <clears throat> the stage has been set. All the hatred, all the division that's in America right now. If anybody ought to have the solution and ought to have the answer, it ought to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when they see the love of God flowing 
Anybody believe that here tonight? <clears throat> when they see the love of God flowing. So John, he, he deals with that. He sees the disconnect. And so uh, when it says that you've left your first love, studied, it's there. Basically what he's saying is, is you quit loving God and you quit loving each other. And if you don't get back to God, you can't love each other. Is this more like a Bible study right now? <laughs> Amen. You, you, you got to stay connected to him. And when he said, men will gather you and cast you into the fire, men are not going to cast you into the eternal lake of fire. That's not what that means. What that means is if you don't stay connected to him as your source, you are going to be put in situations in this life that are going to consume you and burn you up. <clears throat> Maybe I ought to give an altar call right now. I'm not sure. Amen. Uh, I, I've, I've been in those situations before. And the only way through it is by the love of God and me staying connected to God. That's why the enemy is so shrewd and does everything he can to get you disconnected from your source. And if you get disconnected from your source, then you get disconnected from each other. And so John's seen that. And so he comes and he writes. It's amazing to me that when he comes off the Isle of Patmos, that he moves to Ephesus. And it's at Ephesus that he writes his gospel and he writes his epistle. Now he writes the epistles first. And uh, he's sharing with them and he's telling them, uh, you know, if you say you love your brother or you hate your brother and you love God, he says, I didn't say it, John said it, have an argument with him. He said, you're a liar, you're a murderer, there's no truth in you, there's no light. I'm used to just a few more amens. And uh, he, he, he's pretty strong about that. So he deals with that. He's trying to make them understand you've got to reconnect. And you've got to love each other. He uses Cain and Abel as a backdrop. And he also uses that to prove to us when he, he, he shows this in his epistle. And what he's saying is, is if you're not careful, uh, you'll say the same thing that Cain said. Am I my brother's keeper? If you have this world's goods and you see your brother hath need and you shut up your bowels of compassion, how say ye, the love of God abideth within you. That's basically what he's saying. You're saying the same thing that Cain said. I'm not my brother's keeper. And so it's all through there. Now that's, that's not the main point here tonight. Then he deals with something else. This uh, a part of the Gnostics and a part of their doctrine, some of the things they taught was, is that uh, everything is basically logos. Logos just simply being um, thought or expression of thought. And so <clears throat> that's uh, kind of what they were saying. That's why in his epistle, he says, uh, if you deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you're of the spirit of the Antichrist. Because they were saying that there's nothing actually tangible or real. There's not really substance to it. The best way for me to explain it to you tonight would be that uh, somewhere there is a God and he's just thinking this service tonight. That you're not really sitting there in reality. You're just a, a logos. You're just a thought in some deity's mind somewhere. So when you mash your finger and pain runs through it, that's not really pain. <laughs> It's just a sadistic God somewhere, just thinking that kind of stuff. And uh, now the deal is, John understood the peril of that and the danger of that because first of all, it removed humanity's responsibility for their own decisions. You ever heard that old saying, the devil made me do it? Well, it wasn't the devil made them do it. They would say, a God made me do it. 
And so it removes their responsibility for their own actions, their own sins. The second thing it dealt with is it removed uh, the, the, the blood and the work of the blood and the fact that Jesus Christ, the man, died for our sins. And so it dealt with the atonement. And if, if Christ was not really flesh and blood, then uh, there's no atonement. Amen. And so John's seen the dangers of all of that. And he wants to write about it and he wants to deal with it. Now he goes from that and he goes into his gospel. When he gets into his gospel, he starts with this. He does not trace it back all the way back to Adam or to Abraham or David, but he traces it and he says this, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I'm not going back to David. I'm not going back to Abraham. <clears throat> We're going to prove this. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning was, the, and I'm going to preach a little oneness here tonight. I hope you don't mind. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So in other words, uh, in the beginning, there's a deity somewhere and he has this thought and uh, basically logos or thought. And that's just kind of where uh, the Gnostics and the Greeks left it. They just said, that's where it's at. Uh, you have to have a thinker and this thinker just has a thought. And so uh, John said, no, there's a little bit more to it than that. And so in the 14th verse, he says, and the logos was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we, I feel my help coming, and we beheld the glory as only, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on down a little later, and he says, no man has seen God at any time, but he has come, Jesus has come from the bosom of the Father to declare him. That does not mean to verbalize it, just to say it, to preach it, but what that means is to declare it, I'm gonna show you the Father. That's why when Philip said, show us the Father, he said, you gotta be kidding me. I have come from the bosom of the Father to make him known and to declare him. No man has ever seen God. And to the Jews, they all believe a simple thing. Our Father, when they talked about Father, they were talking about God. Paul taught that very strongly. But to us, there's one God, the Father of all. And so when they talked about Father, they were talking about God. And then John says, in the beginning, that God was the Word. Now, there's another place over there in John where it says, Jesus says, I will go back and share the glory that I had with you from the beginning. I've seen Trinitarians jump on that and say, see there, there's the eternal son. <clears throat> well, I, I, I hate to tell you, but that's not what that meant. Amen. If he's going to go back and share the glory that he had from the beginning, then you've got to go back to the beginning and see what he was. What Jesus was saying is, is I am the word made flesh. I was the word in the beginning. And when all this is said and done, I'm, I'm still going to be the Word. Woo. I'm still going to be the Word. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. Are you ready for it? God doesn't have the last word. He is the last word. I want to say it again. God doesn't have the last word. He is the last word. And what He was in the beginning, it's consistently through because he's eternal. His word is eternal. If he's eternal, where in the world is there a moment or a time? Because whatever he is, it has to consistently feel eternity all the way through it. So where did he have time to change? It's impossible for God to change. 
That's why God cannot lie. He can't change. There's no shadow of turning in him. I thank God tonight that the word is eternal. It's forever settled. Heaven and earth can pass away, but my word abides forever. <clears throat> you believe in the word of God here tonight? Thank God for it. I said, thank God for it. It's the weapon that God put in your hands. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We talked about authority and the word from the king this morning. That's the best word you can ever get from the king is to pick up the word of God and look your enemy straight in the face and say, it is written. Mm. Now, I, uh, I want to carry this just a little further. All right. So uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word was. The word was made flesh and when the word was made flesh we beheld his glory look at the word glory and I understand there's like I said different definitions but the truest sense of this is it has to deal with uh, substance uh, one of the words for it is intrinsic wealth uh, glory is something that's visible. It's something that's made known. That's how come people say, well, I felt the presence of God there. You, you can feel the presence of God in a bar if you go to talking about him. Well, I lost some of you right there. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe. Oh, yeah, you can. You start talking about, just like talk about the devil, he'll show up. Talk about God. Talk about Jesus. You'll feel his presence. He inhabits the praises of his people. Well, some of you are looking at me like, I didn't stutter when I said it. You can be in a bar, get to talking about Jesus, be about half drunk, and you'll start feeling his presence. That's just the way that God is. But there is a distinct difference between God's presence and God's glory. Now, God's glory doesn't just show up anywhere. Hmm. So when we start talking about show us thy glory, what are we really talking about? Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of hit you head on here tonight just a little bit, all right? So the, the deal is, and this is kind of what John was saying, is okay, if you've got Logos, if you've got this thinker, and this thinker had a thought, so the thinker had a thought, and the thought become a thing. I just explained the oneness to you the best way I know how to say it. The thinker had a thought and the thought become a thing. And so this, I want you to look at it because this is the way that God operates. So it all starts with Logos. It starts with the thought of God. Of course, he's God. You can't separate. But the fact is, you've got this thinker. He has a thought. Now, that's Logos. That's how God operates. It's, uh, it's where there is creativity and uh, things are thought and things are imagined. Praise God. It's, it's getting quiet now. Amen. Let, let me give you a little idea what I'm talking about. You, you, you see that uh, speaker right there? Now, we see it because it's made flesh. I mean, not flesh, flesh. But it's, it's, there it is, the finished product of it. But that speaker didn't start there. Somewhere, some person years ago starts getting this thought. Hmm, I see this and this and this, and if you plug this in and if you do this and all that stuff and all, 
remember a few years ago, we were in a meeting with, uh, it's back when streaming was just really just getting launched. And so we was in a meeting with some guys and, uh, uh, that were really into it. And so brother Ewing was there with us. And, uh, I mean, these guys were, uh, engineers from some of the leading tech companies. And I mean, they were really into this. And so they were talking about it. And so we left and said, brother Ewing, you learn anything here today? He said, mm -hmm, I did. He said, I learned if you take this thingamajiggity over here and this dumaflachi over here and connect them together, it's not television anymore, it's internet. <laughs> and so somewhere, some, some, somebody thought this. It was just a thought. Then they took their thought and began to verbalize it. And then they started writing it out and drawing and doodling on a paper and saying, man, look at this. And then they started trying to figure it out. So this is exactly, where do you think we get that from? And so this is how God operates. So in the beginning, God has this thought and that thought was about the man Christ Jesus. So God has a thought. Then he begins to verbalize it. And so now I don't know how y'all teach, but I think it goes from Logos now to Rima or Rhema, however you want to choose to say it. So now it's being spoken. So it goes from the thought of God, and then God makes known his thoughts to something called prophets. And prophets begin to foretell. They begin to speak it. They begin to verbalize it. So it's not just a thought now, but we're beginning to express that thought. We're beginning to speak that thought. Now, when you get over in Galatians, Paul says, uh, when the fullness of the time came, uh, Christ was born of a woman, sent from God, born of a woman. But when you get to the word fullness there, it literally means um, you, you, you preach this until it's full. You preach until there's the fullness of time. So we keep preaching and we keep preaching and we keep preaching because preaching is expressing the thought of God. And so we preach it and we preach it and we preach it and we preach it. I have people sometimes that come to church and they say, uh, you, you just stay on the same subject. When are you going to get a different subject? Well, I'll get a different subject when it becomes tangible. Oh boy. I'm going to preach it until it's full. And when it's full, that means it's going to happen now. This is the moment that this is the time for it to happen. Well, praise God. Amen. So you know what? We keep preaching. We keep prophesying. You know, we've been preaching the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church for years. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to preach it until it becomes a reality. Because there is a time that God has set, according to the word, that God has set that I'm going to catch my church out of here. Amen. And I think we're probably getting pretty close to it. But the fact is, this is how God operates. Mm. So now, uh, here's, uh, okay. Glory is when the word is fleshed out or made known. It's revealed. There it is. That's Glory. I don't know about that, Brother Morgan. Well, Romans chapter 1 tells you the same thing. God says, you want to see my glory? Look at creation. Do you not know that when you go out of here tonight, if you can see the moon, the stars, that, that's God's glory. Ooh. In the morning when the birds are singing, hope they don't sing too early, amen, and the birds are singing and all that stuff's going on, that's God's glory. Even his eternal Godhead is revealing his glory. 
And so this is, this is what we need to understand. So when you see these things that are tangible, that the word has fleshed out. Now, if I was teaching this as a Bible study, I'd start talking about us. Paul says to the Corinthians, we go from glory. Help me out here. We go from glory to. So with God, you're always coming from something, going to something. And so he talks about glory, which means that every time you start fleshing out and living the word of God, fleshing it out, what we see is revelation and revealing of God's glory. So we start talking about God's glory. One of the best ways for you to reveal God's glory is in your obedience to the word of God and for you to flesh out the word of God. And when people see that, I, I could get into some stuff right now, amen. When we see that, we see God's glory. Not your glory, we see God's glory because the word is being made flesh. Oh yeah, the word is being made. Now, now Brother Carson, I don't want to cause you any trouble here and maybe I should stay off this, but... Y'all can fire me after the service tonight. I don't, you know, I mean, I've been fired before, amen. And so uh, you can't see, you can't see these things in the spirit, but then they become tangible, real. And that is the revelation. That's the revealing of God's glory. So let me just help you, okay? You can't see submission. Submission is the spirit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, tell me what submission looks like. Because God said, that hair that I put on her head is the visible sign of their submission. And when you see the hair on their head, women, you're looking at glory. Ooh, boy, locked up right there, amen. Man, where did you get this guy, Brother Carson? Send him back, amen. You're looking at glory. That's, that's what it is. So the next time you're filling with, my wife sometimes said, if I ever get to heaven, my mother-in-law, if I ever get to heaven and realize that I didn't have to have this long hair and have to fix it all the time, she said, I'm gonna be mad at God. <laughs> I told her one time, I said, I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that. <laughs> amen. But when you're fixing your whatever that stuff is, and then the world looks at you and says, man, you've lost your mind. No, I've not lost my mind. I'm just fleshing out the word of God. And so this is where God reveals his glory in my life right now. Let me ask you a question. What glory do you want to be known for? Temporal glory, the glory of this world, or do you want to be known for the glory of God, which is an eternal glory? This has always been the great exchange. It's in the temptation. Bow and worship me. Make me your king. I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms. And Jesus is kind of like, what? You got to be kidding me. You expect me to exchange eternal glory for temporal glory? This kingdom and this glory is going to pass away. But the glory and the kingdom that I represent is an eternal, for thine is the kingdom and the power power and the glory forever. I wish somebody would believe that with me here right now. Forever. All right. Now, if I'm wrong, y'all can straighten this out tomorrow at IBC and, and just, you know, whatever. So here's the deal. So I want you to look at that. Now, now my text, my text, some of you are saying, what in the world has this got to do with your text? Everything. Everything. It's got 
everything to do with it. Now here they come. They come out of Egypt. They're coming through the wilderness. Uh, they, now, I used to say that they turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year wandering, but the fact is God never intended for his people to get to the promised land directly from Egypt. He said, I want you to camp for 18 months to almost two years at the Mount of the Law. And so that was where God led them. The cloud, remember the cloud leads them? And so the cloud leads them to the Mount of the Law, and it camps there. My study shows that it didn't move. The cloud didn't move for at least 18 months because God is establishing the fact that before I get you into your promised land, which is filled with a bunch of pagan stuff and idolatry, I want to make sure that we got some things cemented in. And the first thing that we're going to have to establish here on the Mount of the Law is, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is... Because when you get to the promised land, there's going to be all kinds of cultures that are contrary to what you're learning here. But I want the world in the promised land to be able to see what a one God covenant person looks like. I want them to see how you worship. I want them to see how you live. I want them to see my glory manifesting through you. I am the only God that there is. I'm the only true God that there is. You're going to bear witness of me when you get into the promised land. And we tell them, now don't fall to this relevant nonsense. But you got to start acting like the Canaanites to win the Canaanites. He said, I didn't send you into that land for them to convert you. I sent, I sent you into that land for you to convert them. I never intended for you to start worshiping their gods and wearing their stuff. That's not what I intended. I want you. And I, and I, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarity here because you know this is your promise. Okay, okay, okay. I, 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 I woke up one day and realized, oh my God, I, I did the same thing these people did. Uh, you know, I I got to looking at my promised land and all I could see was giants and and walled cities and and cultures that were so contrary. I'm talking about the wonderful state of California. I said, why are you there? Will of God. <laughs> I'm not there because of its politics. <laughs> Trust me. I'm there because God said that's your promised land. I didn't get the luxury of choosing a promised land that didn't have giants. And you didn't either. I didn't get the luxury of choosing a promised land that didn't have adversity and idolatry and all kinds of crazy cultures that's going in it. But the people, Israel said to God, uh, our little ones will fall prey. Uh, they can't live in that culture. They can't survive over there. And it's, oh, it really made, I feel like preaching right now. It just made God mad. It made him so mad. He tells Moses, just get out of the way. I'm going to nuke them all. And Moses said, oh, time out. Hang on here just a second, God. Let's, 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 <laughs> well, it's in the story. Let's just think this through real good. If you do that, then you're going to give your enemies the ability to say, you brought them out, you took them through, but you couldn't take them in. Mm. You sure you want that testimony? I said, well, I can raise you up as a nation. Well, that's going to take a little time. You sure you want to do that? And God said, okay, according to thy word, that's my text, according to thy word, I'm going to pardon them. But see, they got in trouble when they said our little ones cannot live in that deal. Now, now here's what I want to say. 
We get in trouble when we start thinking that our little ones, meaning even our children, biological children, and our little ones, new converts, can live in that culture victorious. Oh, yeah. Boy, it's really bad out there, and everything has changed and all. So you know what? I just don't see how we could expect new converts to be able to live like that. I just don't see that happen. You know, you're saying the same thing to God that they said. Our little ones will fall prey. I told you this morning when I called the old prophet of Sister Schnalton, I said, what about my kids? I didn't know it, but I said the same thing there to God. I didn't recognize it at the time. I'm worried about my little ones. Will they fall prey? And God said, okay, Moses, I'll pardon them according to thy word. But here's what I want you to understand. My glory is going to fill all the earth. Now, they've seen my glory in Egypt. They've seen my glory in the wilderness. Now they've limited me. Do you not think that my glory is going to fill all the earth, including your promised land? You've seen it in Egypt. You've seen it here in the wilderness. I mean, come on, think about it, folks. The Passover, the plagues, all that stuff. The deliverance, the Red Sea, the cloud, which is all a type of, of new birth experience. They've seen all those things that God did. I mean, how would you like to wake up every morning and have a nice air conditioning system, a cloud hanging over you? And at night, you got a pretty good nightlight and a pretty good heater because there's a fire at night. God did that every day for them. And then do you, can you imagine how many gallons of water it takes to take care of three million people every day and their cattle? I mean, how many boxcars of manna have to fall every day, six days a week? And on the sixth day, we got to do a double portion. How many tons of manna do you think had to fall every day? And here they are looking at the promised land and they say, mm, I don't think God can do that. You gotta be joking me. You've seen everything that you've seen, visible things. You've seen my glory in Egypt, you've seen it in the wilderness, and now you're questioning my ability to show you my glory in the promised land? No. Okay, here's the deal. They're not going in. That generation's not gonna go in. They're not going in. Those little ones? They're going in. They're the ones that's going to go in. Moses, according to my word now, every able-bodied man of war, they're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years until they all die. 600,000 dead men marching plus their wives. Oh, this is how much God hates unbelief. 1.2 million people. You couldn't serve if you wasn't married. 1.2 million people. And God says, that whole generation is going to pass off the scene. Now, how would you like to have been the last one or two left from that generation? Sitting around the campfire. I think I did the math. It's like 80. I could be wrong. But I remember it's something like 80 something funerals a day for 40 years that they have to do to bury their carcasses in the wilderness. Can you imagine being the last few that was left? And that pre that generation is going to take us looking at you. I think I'm going to help the Lord out here just a little bit. As soon as you're gone, we're, we're going in. 
My glory is going to fill all the earth. My glory is going to fill all the earth. Now, he tells you what his glory is. The things they seen in Egypt and the things they seen in the wilderness, that's my glory. I'm going to show that kind of stuff in all the earth. Boy, it's quiet in here right now. I'm going to show it to you. Now, here's where I kind of dropped the bomb. We're going to have to decide if we just want to be a word church or a glory church. I'm going to set the plow down now. What do you mean by that? Okay, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Are we just going to come and keep preaching the word and just keep preaching about this stuff? Or are we going to see it? I mean, don't you get tired of just preaching about healing and divine healing and miracles? Don't you get tired of just hearing sermons and Bible studies on God taking my, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. See, we just get content. To, oh, boy. See, we're, we're going to have to decide if we want to be a synagogue or a temple. The synagogue is where they just came together to talk about him. Let's get the scribes and the lawyers together. Let's just bring the, bring the scrolls out in the Old Testament. Let's just read from it. Let's talk about it. Let's dissect it. That's the synagogue. The temple was supposed to be something completely different. The synagogue is where you talked about him. The temple is where you experienced him. And a lot of our churches are selling. Uh, a lot of our churches are settling just in being a synagogue. We just want to come together and talk about the scripture. And we just want to hear better preaching. And we want you to teach it a little bit better. And we want you to connect all the dots. And then we walk out and say, boy, that scribe really had an interesting thought. And that lawyer really put the pieces of the law together. But I'm telling you at some point in time, we have to decide. You know what? I don't want to just hear stories about the glory of God. I don't want somebody just telling me what the Bible says about these things. I want to see his glory. Don't just tell me what he can do. Anybody with me right now? I can start telling you all kinds of stories about miracles that I've seen. I've got some great Exodus stories. I've got some great wilderness stories, and we all do. But where's the stories of the promised land? Where's the land that flows with milk and honey? Where's us walking in real spiritual maturity? Mm. Do you know that the book of Ephesians is compared to be the Old Testament or the New Testament book of Joshua? It's about conquest, and it's about taking, and it's about victory. And you know what? We've lived so far over here in the wilderness, and oh yeah, I've seen God do some great things over here. But right now in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God's calling this end-time church. I need you to get over on your spiritual maturity. I need to get you over here in the promised land. Oh, I know there's all kinds of giants there, and I know there's all kinds of walled cities, and I know there's all kinds of cultures that are contrary. I got all that, but that's your promised land. But if you'll just get on over there, I promise you one thing. The same God that showed you his glory when he brought you out of the world, and 
understand the same God that has kept you bringing you through this life is standing over here in the end time in the promised land telling the church somebody ought to clap and magnify him right now hallelujah Let me tell one story and then I'm going to take it right to where. Uh, let me give you a little idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I was praying one night, this is several years ago, and it was uh, quite a prayer meeting. And uh, uh, there was uh, a time in 1997, that's how far back it was, 1997, in the fall of 97, that God took me on this little journey and it was on Saturday nights, Brother Carson. And it would start about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I'd go in our little living room there and I'd start praying. And it's like the Lord himself would come into that room. And uh, it lasted for several weeks. There were several Sundays that I went straight from that prayer meeting to the pulpit on Sunday mornings. The revelations and the thing that God revealed to me, they're precious to me. And it was in one of those Saturday nights that the Lord said, uh, my people understand the mighty God in Christ, but they don't understand the mighty God in them. I want to show them the other side of the oneness revelation. They got the fact of who Jesus is, but now I'd like for them to see who they are. Beloved, now are ye the sons of God. And so I got that, and he just started talking me about that, and, and, and then he started talking me about the children's bread, and and uh, this is my perspective about miracles is uh, Syrophoenician woman came and said, my daughter's grievously vexed, need a miracle. And when Jesus referred to miracles, pastor, he didn't call it miracles. He said, children's bread. So he began to show me his attitude about miracles for his kids. You don't, if, if your dad's a real dad and a real father, you didn't have to go in there fall across his bed six o'clock in the morning and beg him, please, Dad, will you just get up and go to work? Because we need some bread around here. And if you want to mess with the real father and real man, take away his ability to provide for his family. And the scripture says, if you don't provide for your family, you are worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith. Now, why is God so tough on that? Because when God created Adam, he put a lot of his nature into Adam. And Jesus says, if your earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts unto their children, how much more? Where do you think you got that nature, sir? You got just a little bit of it. He's got a whole lot of it. You went to work, you got up. I didn't read that anywhere in my manual when I started having kids. You've got to provide for your kids. This is in your contract. But there's instinct in man. It's the nature of man. I'm going to take care of my kids. I'm going to provide for my kids. Well, that's the same way your father looks at all this stuff. You don't have to come up here tonight and beg your dad for a miracle or for his bread. You just simply ask him, thank you. If your earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts unto their children, how much more as your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask you don't have to beg boy you're locking up some of you right now you don't have to beg i, I, I see people all the time you know hey, hey. man i'm trying to get this thing 
I see them come to the altars all the time. I mean, I've prayed a lot of people through and seen a lot. I, I, I see them come to the altar all the time, and they're trying so hard. Just uh, And then we go into this deal that, you know, I'm going to pray and fast until God gives me a miracle. Have fun with that one. What are you going to do? Twist God's arm until he says, Uncle? No, seriously. That's the way we view it. I know right where some of you went. Jesus said about them devils, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, all you Bible scholars look at this and make sure I'm correct. He had already got off the subject of devils and was addressing their unbelief. So I don't think he was talking about devils coming out. I think he was talking about their unbelief. Devils would have come out if you'd have just believed. But it's your unbelief that needs to be dealt with. I have the authority and the power to cast out devils. It's your unbelief that needs to be dealt with. I don't pray and fast because I'm going to twist God's arm into giving me something. He's already gave it to me. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to get... Now, this one's going to hurt. Sometimes I watch us and I think, do we really get deliverance from Catholicism? Because everything's about coming in and earning something, earning something. It's kind of like the elder brother. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off now. <laughs> All these years have I served thee. You never killed me a fatted calf. It's like the father said, you've got to be joking me. Every cow out there belongs to you. You could have killed them anytime you wanted to and made merry with your friends. But see, he thought because he had kept the commandments, it's like, it's like punching a time card. Okay, I put my time in. I fasted three days this week and I pray two hours a day. So now you owe me something. God doesn't owe you one thing. You need to start understanding. I know I'm going against Pentecostal tradition. You need to start understanding the nature of your God. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, you don't ever have to invite me back. That's fine. But, you know, we want to do that kind of stuff so we'll make people think we're spiritual. I'm going to leave it alone because I'm going to kill this service graveyard dead right here. I want you to know how much I pray and fast because I think that makes me look spiritual, so that means God owes me something. He don't owe you because you hadn't put the time in. He owes me. <clears throat> well, that went over like a flock of dogs. <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to move along here now. Where did we come up with this stuff? If I say enough Hail Marys. I started realizing. So here's what happened. I, I, I got to get to the story. So here's what happened. So God began to talk to me about that. children. And then this is what he said. And I, I think he still speaks. He said, uh, tomorrow night I'll heal everything in the building. What was that? Tomorrow night, I'll heal everything in the building. 
Now, God, is there a different Hebrew or Greek word for everything? Does everything mean everything? Everything tomorrow night that needs a physical healing, I will heal. So Sunday we get to church, and I'm telling you, it was one of them wild, crazy Pentecostal church services. I mean, they were busting out of the pews and running and running into the walls and knocking sheetrock out and all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, it's crazy. Just poof. And at the close of the service, I announced, tonight we're going to have a healing service. God said everything that's here tonight that needs healing will be healed. <laughs> so when we got back to church that night, somebody had swapped congregations on me. <laughs> because they weren't running and jumping and screaming. Matter of fact, this service right now, this present moment, is extremely lively compared to that service. All right, preacher, perform. You said what was going to happen. Let's see if you're a true prophet or a false prophet. You know, I learned a long time ago, we got people like the Pharisees in our churches that just want to trap you and catch you in something. Oh, yeah. So I, I preached, I preached, and uh, I... Uh, and them steps weren't so stinking steep, I'd go down them. <laughs> but then I'd get to thinking about what it would look like on Facebook, and I'd decide to YouTube, and no, I'm not going to give you that pleasure. Mm. Y'all need to put some steps in here, got some rails for fat guys, I can tell you that right now. And so, Appreciate you bringing me up on the side over there, I tell you that right now. I mean, you just run right up them like there's no big deal. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I hope they don't expect me to do that. And so I, I, I said, okay, all right, everybody that needs a miracle tonight, I want you to get in line. And they did. They lined up. They lined up all the way down the center aisle to the back door, across the back, and then up, starting up the other side. And uh, I looked down, and the first lady in line, her name was Margie McGuire. She's a precious person. She had Parkinson's, and her arm was drawn. She's the first one in line. Mm. I said, oh, wow. Man. Let's just start with 98-mile-an-hour fastballs here, why don't we? You could put me in the batter's box and let me warm up just a little bit, you know. How about a few headaches and backaches, things they can't really see? <laughs> now I'm about, to, I'm about to tell you the answer from it going just to being Logos and Rhema to becoming a reality. Here's the key. So <laughs> I step off the platform and it felt, brother Carson, like somebody draped something over my shoulders. 
And, and I thought my brother was assisting me at the time, and, and just trust me, I'm the oldest of six, and it just went downhill straight from me really bad. And my aunt will confirm that here tonight. Amen. And my brother's a prankster, and he's just always doing crazy stuff and all. So I thought one of those guys, just as a joke or something, he kind of just dropped something over my shoulder. So I turn around and look like, which one of you idiots? <laughs> I hope you're watching, Jeff. Amen. <laughs> Did that. And I turn around, and they're, they're sitting back over there. They're, they're just watching me, too, like. And when it hit me, when it felt that, I heard these words, the gift of faith now rests upon you. And the whole thing changed. Because at that moment, I could have believed God for anything. And God was teaching me right there. Once I tell you my thought, you don't have to rest in their emotional responses for me to do it. You just believe what I said. See, God tells you something, and you're waiting on the, man, I, I felt that one. You're going to have to learn how to let the word work. You're going to have to learn how to let the logos work. You're going to have to learn how to speak it. You're going to have to learn how to say it, and then you're going to have to learn, okay, I don't have to feel goosebumps for this thing to work. Woo, I want to repeat that. I don't have to get goosebumps. I watch people, they have people they're praying for, and they jerk them around and push their heads back and almost give them, you know, neck problems. And, and they come at them like they got a claw instead of a hand, and they're just like, and, and I mean, they just you know, do all this stuff and all. And I've seen people get miracles and Holy Ghost and self-defense is what I've seen, amen. And it's just like, they just, and I'm like, you're, 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 you're trying to help God out. You don't think God's got enough power to do it? He needs you to help him. He don't need you with your claw trying to rip their head off their shoulders. Just speak it and let God do it. Let it go from Logos to glory. Let his grace work now. Isn't it amazing? Grace is charisma. Same word you get. Gifts. So the gift of faith now rests upon you. Now, now Brother Carson, here's, I'm telling you exactly how it happened. I got, I'm still almost tempted. <laughs> I got mm, somewhere probably in that proximity. And I was watching her, and this gift of faith is resting on me. And, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm full of faith. I just, and, and she starts just spinning. I mean, like a top, just spinning. She went about four or five rotations, and then she stopped. And when she stopped, she was actually looking straight at me. And I watched it myself. When she stopped, I watched that hand fall. Boom. And then her eyes got about that big around. And she looked at me. She said, oh, my God, I'm healed. <laughs> now, now, just listen, listen, listen. I haven't even hit the oil bottle yet. I'd already got cards printed up. Faith healer, Mark Morgan, coming to town. I didn't even touch the lady. God healed her. And guess what happened? It jumped from her to the lady behind her. She got healed. And I'm just still standing there going, wow, this is pretty cool, you know? 
and it just got one, boom, 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 all the way down the aisle, across the back, up the side. Everything standing in that aisle that night needing a miracle was healed. It's kind of like God said, okay, I gave you my thought. I told you what my will was. I gave you my logos. You spoke it today in the service. Now watch me execute it and let, watch it come to glory now. So I come tonight when I step to this pulpit, I said, I feel miracles in this house. I feel miracles in this house. Pastor, come up here a second. Just remain standing. My glory is going to fill all the earth. I heard y'all announce some tent revival. Right? Now let me just ask you a question. Is Indianapolis a part of the earth or not? So when God spoke that statement, he looked all the way down through time and seen Indianapolis. My glory. My glory. My glory. We're going to do more than preach about it. We're going to do more than sing about it. God says it's time for it to become a reality. The fullness of time is here. It's time for my power to demonstrate and to manifest. This is where we're at. This is what we're coming to. Jordan's beginning to split. We need to step over in the promised land and know one thing. I know it's tough over here, but God said his glory would be here. And I've come tonight to prophetically tell you, and I don't even hesitate to say it, that God's got a plan, and that plan is for his glory to fill Indianapolis and to fill every campus that you start. Do you hear me? That means you're not going to win them just by arguing doctrine with them. That means when they see the glory of God manifested in the church. We ought to be able to leave here tonight talking about, man, you should have seen what God did. That lady was healed just like that. That man was delivered just like that. We ought to walk out of here not just talking about it if it could happen. We ought to walk out saying, let me tell you what Jesus did last night in the service. God's glory. God's glory. God's glory is beginning to manifest. I wish somebody just rejoice here a second right now. I wish somebody had some faith right now and just say, I believe what that preacher is preaching because it's the word of God. Now, I want you to listen. I want you to listen because he's going to give you a list. And everywhere he mentions one of these places, you need to agree with faith. God's glory is going to manifest there. Canby. Don't just agree. Shout in agreement right now. Come on, Greenwood. Come on, New Power. Come on, how about Fishers and Carmel? And how about Little South Beach, Beach Grove right here? Come on, regional revival around the entire city. Inside and outside of the belt. Inside and outside of the belt.